The views presented are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Events or its components. Zoomies, welcome back. Today we have an airfield operations officer, Major Bart Dietrich, as a guest. He's my current air officer commanding in Cadet Squadron 15, the Mighty War Eagles. He's prior enlisted OCS grad. We cover topics like working with enlisted, hefty challenges in support roles, opportunities to travel, and lots more. Tune in for the details. Thanks for listening. I guess to kick it off, do you have um, any background information, just a little intro about yourself? So for me, um, you know, being in the military, being here, like it, it is a surprise for me because um, when I was in high school, I, the military was not in my future. Um, I ended up getting a, actually a caddy scholarship to college. So I had my choice <laughs> of Miami of Ohio or Ohio State. I went to Miami, you know, did the normal thing, graduated in four years, got a job afterwards. And uh, like I remember when I got that scholarship, ROTC was like my backup plan. Yeah, and I, I told my parents, "Well, I guess I'll never be in the military." Um, <laughs> so it's funny to see how life turns out. But um, yeah, after college, I, I just realized, like, in, in working, it, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. So I went to a recruiter and um, was looking to commission, and the timeline was just way too long. So um, I, I asked the recruiter, "I was like, hey, if I enlist, how quick can you get me out?" And mm-hmm. it was, you know, a few months later. Uh, so I was like, "All right, let's do it. I'm not willing to wait." two more years. Um, so I enlisted, um, went to Peterson for my first base, was bioenvironmental. and uh, Back when it was an Air Force base? Back when it was an Air Force <laughs> base. And then uh, was able to go to OTS uh, three years later in commission. Okay. You know, actually, my brother is on a similar path. He's going out to basic in December um, and looking to become an officer through OCS whenever the pipeline kind of Opens up. Yeah, opens up a little bit. Um, do you have anything like special about that route? Um, so, I mean, it, it ebbs and flows with um, retention rates and, and all that stuff. So like some years it, it's, they're taking a lot and some years it, they're cutting down. When I was there, I mean, it was a very small class. The next class was even smaller and they were talking about canceling the, the follow-on class just because they were going to go get so small. Um, so it, it's an ebbs and flows. Um, at least from my experience when I was going through the initial recruiter and then the OTS process. Is that just more or less bigger classes at the academy and say ROTC? It, it could be retention rates across the Air Force. Okay. Um, like we Sometimes it, it feels like we're a little short-sighted where we have to get to, you know, congressional mandated numbers and everything. And um, since I've been in, I've seen some RIF boards where officers have been um, asked to leave earlier. Um, than they maybe intended to. And uh, then a few years later, it could be like, oh, we need to plus up. And so it opens the floodgates. And OTS, out of all the commissioning sources, is, is the easiest to, to meter, really, of who's coming in and out. Okay. And I'm assuming that they give them some type of bonus to like leave their job? Or is it just like you're fired even though you didn't do it? It's more like laid off. Um, I mean, there were some bonuses. Each time is different. Um, I think the last time... Like I saw it, I was at Thule, and um, there were a few folks up there, um, squadron DOs, who actually 
um, faced the Rift Board, and they they um, brought them back to the states pretty quick and to outprocess and everything. So, it, I mean, it, it was interesting to see you know that process, and um, they weren't ready to leave, but the Air Force had to get down to certain numbers. That's interesting, huh? But you didn't think that they just like okay, like we need this size and. Yeah, you I don't mean, cut, you don't cut the yeah. Cut the I mean, Congress dictates our, our force strength and everything, and mm-hmm. it, it changes year to year. And you know, based on the economy, when it, when I graduated college in two thousand five, the economy was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of I was lucky to get a job after college. A lot of my friends didn't. Um, so a lot of people were going in the military, and it, it was a harder time. Like, um, yeah, when I was enlisted, um, three out of the four airmen who were there, we we all had college degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, one had, you know, two bachelor's degrees. It okay. was just a uh, the the military fluctuates with the economy and opportunities out there. Okay. Um, so I guess to get into airfield operations, what exactly does your mission set look like? So I mean, traditionally, when we think the Air Force, um, you know, we're thinking of, of planes and flying, and in the airfield is our power projection platform. So airfield ops, day-to-day, it's maintaining that the airfield, making sure we're postured for that future fight. Um, and then it's also looking at air traffic control. That's another um, section of what the airfield ops officer is responsible for. And then RAWS, which stands for Radar Airfield Weather Systems. They're going to be the maintainers who are taking care of all your equipment and the nav aids okay. um, that our flyers need. Mm-hmm. So... I guess that's your mission set. What exactly does a day-to-day look like? Um, You're major now, moving up from a lieutenant all the way to an 04. So uh, starting off, you know, as a a lieutenant and everything, it was working in the tower, getting some ratings up there. And um, I was able to get my um, CTO, so, you know, FAA equivalent of like, hey, I'm a tower operator, I'm a controller. Um, and then it's going through like airfield management and doing sort of the upgrade training, same upgrade training like our enlisted are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, we didn't have RAWs as part of the flight, um, so I didn't have that experience. But um, now they're they're getting experience there and learning their equipment and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, you become an, uh, a jack of all trades, master of none type thing. Okay. Um, and then it, it quickly progresses to to leadership opportunities where you're. Um, you might have a small flight, which could be 30 to 50 people, which in the grand scheme can seem pretty big. Um, and it will be like a tower only facility and you start leading there and, um, hopefully you get assigned to a base where there's a captain, you know, to still keep you under their wing. Um, but that captain is probably deploying and Mm -hmm. you're going to get, um, you know, some trial by fire. And for me and for like my peers, like that's been the best learning experience. Like when the safety net's gone and you know, six months I've got it. Yeah. And then you can stop and reflect like, what did I learn from this before the air force moves you along and puts you officially in the seat to run things in that position where you don't necessarily have that captain rely on. Do you have like senior NCOs? So, yeah. So senior NCOs, like whether you have the captain or not, like I never go to a meeting without my senior NCOs. Like they, they keep me on track and everything. They are the experts. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be meetings where I'm looking behind me and, you know, making sure I'm getting the head nods that I'm just saying the right <laughs> yeah. things and not thinking of, you know, or setting us up for unintentional consequences. Um, but really it's a team effort and it really teaches you like to bring in the, the whole 
flight and integrate all different aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes beyond the flight because uh, everything, most jobs come together on the airfield and have some role. Mm-hmm. So it's integrating all of that stuff to keep um, operations going and keep uh, necessary improvements we need to make out there um, and minimize impact to other people's jobs as well. Okay. And so I guess you touched on the younger years of your officer career, like what you're a major now, what did you do exactly before coming here? So before I was, um, a flight commander at Vance. So I got the, you know, experience from that UT UPT environment. Um, my flight there was 140 people. So it was pretty big. Um, about a little over a hundred enlisted and then 20 or so civilians and then some contractors too. So it was a uh, diverse, um, also training a few lieutenants, um, to get them upgraded. So it was, it was busy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, second busiest airfield in the air force. Um, so we were, you know, we had to keep ops going all the time, yeah. um, because pilot production is, is key. Um, it's just one UPT is one of the ch- links in the chain to get you onto the next, you know, flying uh, the next school and, uh, get you in the aircraft and doing the mission you need to be doing. Yeah. That seems like the bottleneck, especially like talking to, even when I was at Marion, um, we'd have be on calls with, I think it was 20 years and 21 ers that would, would be like on casual talking about how the pipelines backed up. So yeah, there's so many, um, yeah. Bottleneck opportunities in there. Um, you get a month of bad weather. Um, I think my last February, there are some ice storms and everything where we lost a lot of flying mm-hmm. days and, those have ripple effects, you know, across different bases and, um, how quick we can get pilots Mm -hmm. into their units. Yeah. So have you been down to the airfield here? Uh, I have had one tour down there, um, during our AOC immersion um, period. I just wasn't sure because I did soaring over the summer and I didn't know how similar, obviously it's probably on a smaller scale if they're only working with like the... Uh I mean, it, it, it's different, but uh, like when I watch the airspace from my house and, yeah. and I see, you know, the jumpers, the gliders, um, powered flight going, um, I'm looking at it's pretty complex airspace to keep everybody uh, separated and safe. Okay. Um, so I'm not super <laughs> envious of, of the job they're doing, but it, it looks like they're doing a great job. Yeah. Um, so I guess... Airfield ops is one of those jobs where you have to work with a lot of enlisted. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's not necessarily the same with a pilot. I might just be a little closed minded here, but what is that like? So, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of similarities to being an AOC. Like, okay. I mean, really focusing on, you know, developing and training, uh, making sure the training programs were always training our replacements and, and building those skill sets, um, whether it's the lieutenants I got to train or making sure our, um, Airmen right out of tech school, we're getting them upgraded and get, getting them controlling mm-hmm. as quick as possible. Um, and then just, you know, some manning issues. Um, the controllers have a good option to um, leave the Air Force after six years. Uh, most are on a six-year contract um, and go work for the FAA. Okay. Um, so, you know, just like pilots keeping them in, like it's tough to keep some controllers in. So. Not only are we trying to get them proficient enough to control, but then it's, okay, we need you to be a supervisor and teaching that stuff and, and developing. Mm-hmm. So do, are there any incentives for the, to keep those people in? Like, do they give them pay bonuses because they know they can just... It changes over the years. Um, I remember when I 
went to um, Guam, PCS there. I was a still second lieutenant. And I think the controllers were getting like a $90,000 reenlistment bonus. <laughs> and my wife was like, why did you commission? Like, <laughs> why didn't you just switch over to do this to get this money? You need a different um, job, sir. Like, it, I mean, it, it's different. Um, but uh, unfortunately, like they, they've really um, cut that down over the years um, just because of, you know, budgetary reasons and everything. And uh, it's all it's driven a lot of people to um, look to the FAA or um, – for a time, there was even the contract companies over in the Middle East that were running things where, you know, it's, it's tough to keep a senior airman in where they can leave and then go make 150000 you yeah. know, in Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, for essentially, you know, a similar job. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess going off the topic of pay, are there potential pay bonuses for being an officer in your career? No, I mean... Outside of like the the base pay, yeah, you know, what we get, um, no, that there haven't been. Um, I mean, deployments you deploy of your tax free zone, mm-hmm. um, you know that that's can be a big pay bump, not paying taxes, um, and then getting any of the associated pays with with those areas, hostile fire, hazardous duty, mm-hmm. uh, family separation, but specifically to the career field, there's no um, extra pay. Actually, can you delve into those little? I guess, nuances of deployment pay? Yeah, so, I mean, it really depends on the area of what's authorized. Um, I mean, Congress and, and the executive branch will say, hey, what what is a tax-free zone? Um, like, if you go to IUD, like, that's tax-free zone. And where, and then, depending on what's going on, they can um, give, uh, yeah, hostile fire, imminent danger pay. Um Finance controls like the family separation. If you're more than 30 days apart, mm-hmm. then you can apply, do the paperwork for that. And I think that's like $250 extra a month. Um, the last deployment, I had a little heartburn with the tax-free uh, because it was not tax-free. And oh. we were uh, living in a tent, for which turned into like eight months. Um, we were getting hostile fire and imminent danger pay. But because those were pay, like those were taxed as well. Mm-hmm. Um it was pretty austere conditions and some of my friends who were in IUD with pools and other stuff getting tax free. You know, I was, I was a little, a little, <laughs> a little salty there. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, I, you're talking about traveling a lot. Is it just, you get put anywhere where there's an air, airfield? Um, for the most part. Um, I mean, there's some staff opportunities, especially in the, um, like as a major, um, Lieutenant Colonel there, there's a lot of other opportunities like, um, coming to be an AOC and there's ROTC detachments, different command opportunities. Um, but travel, like I, yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate, um, as a, on the officer side, I started off, um, at key field in Meridian, Mississippi, which is actually a guard base, um, for, I think of five years or so, like our crew field, we went to guard bases at first mm-hmm. to do our training, um, that we've changed a lot since then. Uh, but from there, I got to go to Guam and experience the Pacific. And that was a great learning experience of um, different focus, um, especially, you know, the phrase when I was over there was pivot to the Pacific. So there was a lot of investment. And uh, as a lieutenant, just seeing like operation plans and how I need to be thinking in the support role was, was critical. Um, from there, I, I ended up doing a short tour. So one year away from my family. 
up in uh, Thule, Greenland. Mm-hmm. So going from tropics to the North Pole was a shock. <laughs> and that was a phenomenal experience as well. Um, aircraft ops weren't very you know, busy up there. It was very slow. Um, but we were also redoing the runway. So, you know, how are we going to sustain ourselves? Um, so that, you know, there was a lot of uh, problem sets to work through there. And mm-hmm. it was also um, the plan that was brief was not um, coordinated with anyone who could really make that decision. Um, so we we had to go back to the drawing board really quick. Um, so that was a great, like, I, I was pretty much a brand new captain doing that. And um the level of like interaction I had with, with headquarters and um, my leadership team who were, were space officers too. So an airfield was very foreign to them. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, you know, breaking things down and explaining, okay, Hey, sir, I need you to get excited on this because this has a big impact for us. Um, like it was great. Um, great learning experience. Um, great leadership team up there. We, and coming from like the Pacific and Guam, uh, being up there and also recognizing like, hey, we, we've got a lot of um, capability up there in terms of um, power projection opportunities. Um, and luckily I was, again, I, I was able to have a command team that was supportive and we were able to bring in some Danish F-16s and do start doing proof of concepts like, hey, we can, what else can we use this, this runway for? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great to see like after I left, you know, how that continued to grow and more um like the marines were going up there and you know new exercises were growing mm-hmm. so um it, that was great um oh, that sounds rewarding it was really rewarding um and and up there like um they put weather under me so i got to learn about weather and leading them and then also ramp maintenance um so that was different um additional duties are always a thing um asked me to be the Sark up there. I, I sort of, I pushed back on that pretty hard. I was like, as a, you know, bald male, like I'm probably the last thing people want to see yeah. in, in time of need. But um, I got to do that. And like, that was an eye-opening experience and very humbling and um, a lot of growth for me do, doing that. Um, really pushed me outside of my comfort zone. Um, so those like, assi- what do you mean exactly? You can get assigned extra duties, like, so you were a Sark, you could have been something else or uh, like what type of things get assigned to people more or less randomly? Uh, I mean, there you can be security manager. There, there's so many different additional duties where like we need the Air Force, the unit needs that to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a manpower billet for someone to do that specifically. So okay. somebody um, gets assigned on top of their duties to do that. It could be um, unit training manager, unit deployment manager. Um, there's, there's a long list of additional duties. Um, and it's not just for officers. I mean, you're, you're enlisted and teammates will have those as well. Do Um, they go about picking these people like due to their merit or is it just kind of random? Every place is different. Um, it, for me, I, I think it was, Tule is very small, so it was, um, limited options, Mm -hmm. but, um, they, they said, I, I fit the bill the best. Um, and so after the initial pushback and like, hey, I don't think I'm the person for this. Um, once they said, you are, it was, okay, let's learn how to do this and, you know, be the best I can be at, at doing this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one thing like in the military, like you, we don't get to choose our teams mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, 
and we need everybody who's on our team to to be fully supported so they can be the best they can be mm-hmm. and um do you know be more successful in mission accomplishment okay so rolling on um you're a, you you work in a support role mm-hmm. what are some heavy challenges that people face in these type of circumstances um so a lot i mean it, it you really have to understand what the mission is and, and where not only with current mission, but like, Hey, where are we going and what, what kind of, um, obstacles do we have facing? So we're, we're posturing ourselves years out to be able to support those channel, those challenges and evolve as the mission's going to change too. Um, and a lot of it's networking, mm-hmm. um, especially for on the airfield. Like I said, everybody almost has a role down there. So knowing who to, who to talk to, and knowing what the potential impacts of of something happening down there is to their their mission set, um, and then having that open communication, so we're we're working through that and minimizing um, that as much as possible, and, and still um, ensuring mission accomplishment as efficiently as possible. Okay, what what type of missions have you ran into? Um, so a lot of it it, it depends, like. Um, advance you know our the mission there delivering pilots so it's when we've got three runways on vance and then an auxiliary field um just north so when we're taking down a runway how are we going to keep producing the same number of pilots with 33 percent less capability and working through whether it's you know engaging with the faa like hey how what procedures can we change um to keep things flowing going to regional airports and seeing, hey, what support agreements can be built where we can push some planes over there to um, get some training done. Um, in the Pacific, it's, hey, if we're taking down this many parking spots and we need this many planes to come in, how are we going to fit this much on the ramp when we've lost 20% capability? Um, and just forecasting that out of knowing, like, what do we have to keep producing and what are we on the hook to support? That's pretty crazy. It sounds like you have to be really resourceful. You have to be resourceful. You have to communicate and, and mm-hmm. talk and really understand like what, where are we at now and where do we need to go? Mm-hmm. Um, so like construction projects and stuff, like looking 10 years out, like, okay, what's current condition and how do we phase it properly? So we're not taking down the airfield and we can keep producing and delivering what we need to do um, during that process. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking of my experience at the academy right now, trying to balance all these things, and that sounds like extremely out of reach. But I mean, the big thing is you're not doing it alone. You're using your team, and yeah. um, like I, I started off like airfield ops, jack of all trade, master of none. Like um, I can see a lot of pieces how they fit together, um, but I need the other folks to actually put them together mm-hmm. um, and just facilitating the connections and, and the conversations between people who have, uh, who are the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, have there, have, I guess, have there been any unique leadership circumstances that you've ran into? Maybe that isn't going on with like, say, making sure the, the correct amount of sorties are put up in a day. Um, I mean, I, ha- I had one, uh, deployment where it was pretty tricky where, um, did not see eye to eye with uh, one of the commanders um, at all, and uh, there was there were a lot of things where you know I'm being asked to do things where I, I'm like this could have some strategic consequences. Like we're 
we didn't come here and, and take over the country in the airspace. Like we got to play by their rules yep. and work with our host nation partners. Um, so that was, that was very, a very challenging experience, especially as a, um, new major going through that stuff. Felt like a, a what now airman type. It did. Deal. There, <laughs> there were some situations. Um, and luckily, like I was able to use, you know, squadron commander and, um, deputies and other people leaders on base to be like hey i i need some some top cover and we need to we need to work through this because this path is is not a a good solution yeah so like what exactly if you can get into it at all i don't know like without ref, like mentioning names or anything hello that was a flyover <laughs> i mean so we were working with the army a lot and uh you know, doing uh, operations out of there. And so, and then also um, different um, support elements outside of the DOD to who, who all want, you know, have a mission set they're trying to accomplish, but the rule set like we're operating under um, can be tricky. Like we had uh, one medevac from France come in and the uh, host nation military surrounded it with their, Hilux Toyotas with their, you know, the machine guns <laughs> on the back and would not let it leave. And, um, luckily I made a connection at the embassy before and I'm getting called and yelled at like what's going on. And mm -hmm. everything was a, a surprise cause nothing was coordinated, um, with the right stakeholders. Um, so that was a, that was a very challenging situation to get that plane released and get our, our military member back um, up to Germany to the hospital and get the medical care they needed. You know, it's funny how it plays out like that because in MSS right now, we're talking about just like the kind of friction that goes on between, I don't know, not even just different countries, but different branches. Mm -hmm. And it's, I guess that's a there, first case. Like There can be a lot of friction and like, especially when you're, you're operating in um, some of our host nations, AORs, like realizing... Um, that relationship and being um, culturally aware of like, Hey, wh what are the standards and everything too? Yeah. Because it, it's still, a, it's a team out there. You, um, you're trying to accomplish a lot of the same things um, and just making sure we're doing it um, as effective, as effectively as we can. Yeah. Not only, I guess, I don't know all the rules of, I don't know if you have to play by your rules or there's a new rule set, but I'm sure there's a lot of trying to make incentives align there. Yeah, I mean, there, there's all kinds of agreements with through the Department of States that, that go into play, and then it gets pushed down to the DOD. Like, in every place is different. So, so navigating through that, and then, you know, as our mission started to evolve there, like, and we're asking for more, hmm. um, how do we get that? Um, because we're still reliant on host nation for a lot of services that um, they weren't going to authorize us to provide. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you have any uh, war stories that you're willing to tell the audience? So, I, I mean, outside of like being airfield ops and working, you know, in the traditional operations support squadron, um, after Greenland, I was able to go to Germany for an assignment. And there I worked at the Air Operations Center. Um, so it was um, one of like the uh, broadening experiences airfield ops officers do, um, can do as, as a captain traditionally. Uh, so I was chief of combat airspace for AFRICOM and UCOM. Um, so a lot of big exercises. That sounds I important. Plan. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was it was a huge shock um, getting there. 
Um, never done airspace in my life. Like I went to a school for three weeks before in Florida, which was great after Greenland. Um, but did that and then got to, uh, yeah, Germany and we had a huge exercise going on and it, like I'm tasked like, Hey, create this airspace control plan and you, you need to brief the JFAC, which is a, was a three-star, um, in like two weeks. And I'm like, <laughs> Brand new job. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's figure this out. Um, so that, I mean, that was great. Um, and then through there, like I, I also got to be a chief of air tasking order production. Um, and that, that was an eye opening experience as well. Um, I think the most notable thing, like we did a lot of great things there where sometimes it'd be working on it, planning things and being like, Hey, I know what we, we just did is going to be on the national news, you know, tomorrow. Um, that's crazy you know towards the end of the assignment where i'm thinking like hey it's almost over i can coast through the summer just one big exercise to go um we were faced with uh in syria a Assad regime used chemical weapons again on their their people um and we were deciding we were going the direction we're gonna take away their capability to do that again so that was you know, we went from like zero to a hundred instantly. And then working with our, you know, French and British counterparts, uh, putting together the plan, um, not only just the Air Force, but the Navy. Um, and then we're working with the CAOC in CENTCOM, um, who are also part of it. And then putting that whole, like to be able to put that whole 3D airspace picture together of like, hey, this is where planes would be. This is where missiles would go. Um, and then while we're monitoring like adversarial aircraft who are flying in support of Syria too, um, and then see it all come together, um, from both sides, like it just play out like, I, I, like it's supposed to, like it, yeah. it was, it was perfect. It seemed like perfect execution. And then, um, you know, at to spend like those few 16 hour days putting that all together and, and everybody's busting their butt and then seeing the effects, you know, seeing it on the news and being like, wow, like that just happened. And, uh, it was really gratifying to see that operational level of war and see how things come together. Um, and yeah, that, that was a a great experience, um, to see. And we, we had many other like strike opportunities in Africa that we got to put together, um, operation, Odyssey lightning, where we uh, were working to push ISIS out of CERT, um, a city in northern Libya, um, working with the Marines and Navy heavily on that um, was an eye-opening experience and really helped me understand more of like how we, we need to interoperate um, amongst services and then also um, with our allies. That's That's crazy. Like, I mean... I guess on a much smaller scale, I can see when, I guess kind of putting this podcast together, getting all these like people to work together and then like actually seeing the end result of what you put all that work into, like on a stage like that, where it's ending up on the news, that, that must be like a crazy feeling. It it was really rewarding, um, doing it like it, it was, um, it was very challenging for me. Um, I was a captain, I was one of the junior officers. So working with people who have a lot more experience and everything and, um, you know, trying to stay relevant and, um, 
have the credibility was uh, a challenge that I really had to work very hard at those three years uh, yeah. to advocate for, hey, this is how things we how we need to do things to keep things safe and deconflicted um where there's a lot of competing demands because like at the academy everybody wants a cut cadet time um when we're doing operations everyone wants some airspace um particularly the army they want the most airspace <laughs> um so exercises working with them where they would request everything and, and trying to peel that back and, and saying no you can't have all of Europe, you know, to exercise. <laughs> the Air Force Selfish needs Army. most of this. Yeah. Well, um, I guess, is there anything else that you think should be known about your job from a cadet perspective? I mean, from the cadet perspective, um, I, I've loved my job, the opportunities that I've had, um, a lot of travel opportunities for um, different exercises um, abroad, uh, Norway, France. Um, I've got to go tour some places in Somalia and Djibouti, um, check that stuff out. Um, but like when you start off, like you're going to be leading pretty quick and you, you're going to have a lot of responsibility. Um, a, as a young Lieutenant, it was not uncommon for the wing commander to be calling my desk directly and mm -hmm. asking for updates on things. Um, and for me to have, um, uh, pretty direct access to the group commander and, and squadron commander, um, and really working with that and seeing some of the um, senior senior leader uh, thought processes, I think that really uh, was a benefit to me as a as a young officer. Okay. Well, all the zoomies out there, you're here to hear first, Major Dietrich, Airfield Operations Officer. All right, for all the zoomies out there, thanks for tuning in. I hope this episode was helpful and either gave some insight to what your future could look like or just bring you back to your days at the old zoo. I'm looking to make this interactive with the cadet wing, so let me know if you want someone special on or a certain question asked to a specific AFSC. Let me know through the polls I send out in wing wides. But until next time, thanks for listening. You're cleared hot.